Everybody, welcome back to the pod and the pendulum for a very special recording tonight. We have dug up our drunken script readings from the crypt. Um, we did these earlier in the year when everybody was on full lockdown, and this being spooky season, um, fourth time is a charm. We have assembled a crack team of uh, performers tonight for Dennis Etchinson's Halloween for unused screenplay, which is an absolute fucking trip. Uh, we are using the second draft, which is dated December 2nd, 1986. Uh, so for those of you that want to read along, you may need to at some point. Um, <laughs> but I would, you know, happy Halloween. We're dropping this on the 31st or everybody. We hope this brings you, as you're getting ready for the day, have this on in the background and it's a little treat for you, our listeners. Uh, we're going to introduce our performers for the night. We're going to start uh, with someone who jumped in at the absolute last second without any idea of what she was getting herself into. Um, and I cannot thank her enough. We owe her bigly. Uh, let's welcome our stage director, Shaula Evans. Thank you, Mike. I'm Shaula Evans, and I'm thrilled to read the narrator tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, up next, we have our Lindsay Wall. Well, you know what? Why am I introducing who are people playing? We have uh, <laughs> LB. Hi. Yeah. Hi. Um, well, I am playing several parts tonight. Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, Lindsay Wallace. Uh, who else am I playing? I'm playing Brooke and the cameraman and... Um, uh, the town president, and um, then the bag lady, right? Is that yes. my five? I believe okay. so. Yes, <laughs> I believe so. I should mention I am playing. Uh, I am playing Tommy Doyle because I figure I am like the portrait of Dorian Gray version of Paul Rudd. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Doyle in part six, where he doesn't age and looks better and better, and then there's me. So there we go. You owe me. Um, up mm. next, we have uh, playing a number of roles. Returning once again, we have Jacob Davidson. Yep. Uh, happy to be back. Um, tonight, I will be playing uh, Monday, the uh, TV reporter, uh, Corey, a teenager, Kevin, a kid, uh, Ms. Nolan, and the drive-in owner. Excellent. Um, up next, we have Nicole. 
And by the way, folks, feel free to promote anything you write for, do whatever. Like, get your plugs in. Oh, uh, that, can I can I just tag on onto that? Uh, no, it's I'm too late. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, yeah. So this is Jacob Davison. I'm a writer for iHorror.com. I'm also a co-host for the Eye on Horror podcast with Jonathan Korea and James J. Edwards. So there's that. Which is a really fun show. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Up next, we have, I think I, I, I said Nicole, so that's where we'll go. Hi. Um, yeah, I'm Nicole, and I'm going to be playing Mrs. Wallace and Leah and woman. Um, <laughs> so I'm, yeah, I'm flexing all of those theater degree muscles tonight. Very exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, returning to us once again, who's been on, I believe, all of the ones we've done so far, we have from Dread Central and many other places, Mr. Brian Kuyper. Brian? Uh, yeah, hi, everybody. Uh, nice to see you. Um, Brian Kuyper, uh, columnist now at uh, Bloody Disgusting. Humble um, <laughs> brag. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, that's new. That's brand new. Um, I also uh, do some writing at, uh, I've done some writing at Dread Central, uh, Manor Bellum. F this movie and ghastly grinning. So uh, tonight, however, I will be drinking my wild cherry Pepsi because if you listen to the Poltergeist 2 episode of the show, you know I don't drink much um, because, you know, the worm. You know, remember the worm? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's good. (laughs) Kinder trauma. Kinder trauma. Okay, so I'll be playing uh, Sheriff Lee Brackett, um, Mr. Crab, who is a weird creep. Uh, Peter, the vice principal, father, guy, and Richie. And thank you very much, Brian, and making our return to the show after her appearance on our Fade to Black episode. Uh, and responsible for getting us our last minute performers, we have the lovely Miss Taffeta. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, let's see, tonight I get to get murdered. Um, <laughs> I will be, um, let's see, who am I going to be? Uh, this is terrible. I don't know. Who am I going to be? Uh, I'm going to be uh, Darcy, and I'm also going to be a drama teacher and a psychotic doctor. Um, and uh, I wish I had something to promote, but I think that everybody should invite me onto their podcast so that I can make them blush. Excellent. <laughs> Um, joining us for the first time, in... <laughs> joining us for the first time and filling in at the last second. We're already, I can already tell it's going to be a night. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's going to be a night where I'm told I need to sleep on the couch when all is said and done after this. Great. Um, we have filling who are the last person who came on board. Absolute doing us a huge favor. We have uh, Dan, Dan. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Dan Shaked. Um, uh, I'm playing Mr. Wallace tonight and a boy who is apparently 12 years old. I'm excited to read that line. And, um, <laughs> and yeah, and I, uh, I have two films that I filmed before the pandemic called uh, Under the Lantern Lit Sky and Highway One. And uh, they should be rolling out sometime next year. So thanks cool. for having me. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. 
Um, joining us for the first time, we have Mr. Chewy Walrus. Ooh, hey, it, it really fits. Thank you. I'm 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 certainly glad you seem to think so. I've I've been told. Uh, my name is actually Stephen Foxworthy, uh, and I am one of the. One of the co-hosts of the Disenfranchised podcast, uh, where we talk about movies that never got a franchise, but really, really seem to want one. Um, so we just finished up our uh, month of uh, spooky uh, failed franchise starters, which, uh, so check us out if you want to. If not, I can't make you. Um, I'm, playing, <laughs> I'm playing a number of roles tonight, um, including, and probably limited to Detective Hunt, Sean Keith, a secretary of some sort, uh, a proprietor of some sort, uh, the boy in van number two, and a wino. <laughs> so I'm really running the gamut there. I feel like we should have like a anchorman style like alley fight since you guys cover the opposite of what we do over in the, <laughs> in the pendulum. Absolutely. I mean, there's going to be some overlap because like the Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th reboots are absolutely failed franchise starters. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's going to be some overlap, but I think you guys have already covered those. So if at any point you guys want to come on when we're doing one of those. Uh, well, we'll have to oh. talk after. We'll trade some info. and we'll Absolutely. Absolutely. Joining us for the first time tonight, we have another Brian. We have Mr. BJOC himself, who is yeah. a distant relative of AOC, I believe. I think that's how it works. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Not far off. But, uh, yeah, my name is Brian James O'Connell, but all my friends call me BOC, so I've been getting a lot of emails for the last couple of years now about that. Uh, yeah, please. Uh, tonight I'm wearing, uh, doing nine different roles. I'm really looking forward to deeping it, uh, digging in deep to the backstory of Boy and Van Number One. So I'm with you on that. Uh, and please, uh, please watch my feature film on Amazon Prime. I'm the director of a film called Blood Sucking Bastards. And I also have a uh, animated show on Sci-Fi Channel called Held In, and our season two premieres on uh, the TZGZ Saturday Night Block, uh, Saturday, uh, November seventh. I always want to say eleven eleven, but that's not. It's a eleven seven. Uh, so that's me. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. All right. Last but not least, we have a gentleman who I've been. Ooh, Bloodsucking Bastards was really good. I'm looking at the cover right now. Oh, for this, I really thank enjoyed you. this. I did not know that too. <laughs> um, so, all right, awkward segue. Um, we have last <laughs> not least, I'm being told is fantastic at voices. So absolutely no pressure whatsoever. You better live <laughs> up to it. We have Mr. Oh, Andrew. Well, hi, uh, I'm Andrew Bardron, a.k.a. Jemetsko with an exclamation point at the end. Um, it's a weird spelling. Uh, I'm a podcaster, podcast producer, illustrator. Uh, the voice thing is just for fun most of the time. It's not professional. Um, uh, Grumpire.com. I do all the artwork for that. LB actually didn't mention mm -hmm. it, but she's the editor and sometimes <laughs> I'm, writer I'm on the I'm the site. worst at plugging things. I'm really well, bad. <laughs> it was before the allowance for the plugs happened. So oh. <laughs> we'll toss you that. So uh, that and uh, my podcasts, we have a Grumpire podcast, but I have a dead podcast that is newly dead. So it's still kind of fresh. And mm -hmm. you should all check it out. It's called What Did We Just Watch? It's about, okay. you know, one weird movie a pod an episode you know um Excellent. and there's a lot of good stuff Excellent. there um so yeah that's that's it but i thought and i'm wrong now but i thought i was playing wino 
So somebody else is playing Wino. You can take it, man. You can have it. You have Wino. I I don't know. Uh, I think uh, you are right, Andrew. I think I put you in as Wino. Take it, man. Take it. My bad. No, you're fine. Take it. That's just one. I have a few others. There's Wino. There is uh, Newscaster. And uh, what's his name? Um, The boss, uh, the newspaper guy. Uh, You have the... Barry. Barry, the news director. I believe you are our Loomis as well. I could be what? wrong. Nope. Double check. Who is our Loomis? I didn't have Loomis, but who is I our Loomis? Was okay. Was I think it's doing? Andrew now. Just you know do what? it. Just do you Loomis. You know what? I yeah, apologize. <laughs> I thought you wanted Loomis, and then after, but if that wasn't you, then it was Jacob, if I remember correctly. Uh, Jacob, yeah, you I got Loomis. That my number two. My bad. My bad. Jacob, you okay. are Loomis because I know so you asked Loomis. for that um, cool. as well. So, as you can see, listeners, this is a crack operation that we're running here. <laughs> Very well organized. <laughs> I'm running an absolutely tight ship here. Oh, this is I am also like irate. I'm also irate man. You're also, you're also the voice of Adrian Barbeau. Uh, yes, yes. Also the voice of Adrian Barbeau. And the driving Role you were here. born to play. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to do it right now just because this is what I thought I was going to do as the voiceover yeah. and drive-in. Which was, howdy, folks. Welcome to the drive-in. We're about to watch some crazy, galdern, hooten, horror, fantasmic, gory old. Uh, you know, I can't really improv words, but that's the voice. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not Adrian Barbeau, so. And I'll say to our performers who did not get to plug anything, if you find a subtle way to work in your plug into the dialogue, <laughs> nobody will. Nobody will I'll, uh, I'll uh, state in Maine, put a dot com right. somewhere in the dialogue. All right. I love it. Are we ready to go? Wait, who's uh, Lonnie? Yeah. Let's do it. Who's hmm? Lonnie? Lonnie. Lonnie is BG. I'm Lonnie. Yeah. I'm playing Lonnie. Oh. Hey, baby. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. On a black screen in dark red letters, Halloween 4. A framed mirror reflects darkness, then slowly out of the darkness, we begin to see the outline of a shadowed figure dressing for Halloween. Pale hands pull on a black shirt, then a black coat. Finally, we move in just as a white featureless mask is placed over the head and the costume is complete. It is the shape. Haddonfield, Illinois, October 31st. Exterior night, house. Watching from behind the mask, an upper middle class home on a residential street. A jack-o'-lantern flickers in the window. Sound of chatter on the porch as guests depart. Moving closer. Last out are Mr. and Mrs. Wallace, late 30s. They linger, saying goodnight to their hostess. And thank you both for coming. We should do this more often. Oh, we would, but she doesn't like leaving Lindsay alone. Oh, she's not alone. Annie's babysitting her. Annie? You know, Leigh Brackett's daughter from high school. And how old is your little girl now? Nearly nine. My wife still has separation anxiety. That's not true. But, well, you can't be too careful. I think she's worried about the boogeyman. Of course not, silly. 
Drive safely, you two, and kiss your Lindsay for me. Watching from behind the mask as Mr. and Mrs. Wallace leave the porch and walk to their car, pumpkin eyes gutter in the window. Interior car, night. Mr. and Mrs. Wallace get in and start home, husband driving. Reflexively, Mrs. Wallace locks her door. Were you trying to embarrass me? You mean about the boogeyman? Oh, come on, honey, loosen up. I hate this time of year. I, I always loved it. My brother and I used to get so much candy. <laughs> and I suppose you ate every bit of it. We sure did. There was a man in my neighborhood, old Mr. Hallendorf, who put things in the candy. One year, he gave out popcorn balls with needles in them. Oh, Jesus. Well, every town's got a sicko, I guess. Except Haddonfield. This is 1978. Safe and sane for 15 years since they put the Myers kid away. I hope you're right. Maybe we should get Lin uh, maybe we should let Lindsay go trick or treating next year. I could walk with her. We'll see. Exterior night, car. As they glide through dark streets, pumpkins in windows, candy wrappers and leaves blowing, a few older kids still out in costumes. As the car passes, one kid dressed like a pirate shouts something. The others follow, running ahead to the corner of Woodbine Street. The view from behind the mask watching as kids run by on the sidewalk. The Wallace car passes. In the car. They turn into Woodbine. Mrs. Wallace looks back apprehensively. What, what was that? Teenage boys, up to no good as usual. They're heavy on the trick part. Sound of distant sirens. Can't you go any faster? Sound of honking growing louder as they feed into a traffic jam. Lights and commotion ahead as an ambulance rounds the corner behind the Wallace car, cuts over the sidewalk to get by. In the car. Do something! She sees where the ambulance is headed. Oh, dear Lord. She reaches over and hits the horn. Then she opens the door, jumps out, and runs ahead between the cars. She hurries forward on foot as she passes carloads of rubberneckers. We hear blips of newscaster Robert Mundy's voice on the radio. Repeating this late night breaking story, in the aftermath of the killings, the streets between Chestnut and 10th are jammed. This is usually a quiet, peaceful street, but tonight neighbors were stunned by the grotesque sight of three bodies being wheeled out of the house. The names of the young victims have not yet been released. Mrs. Wallace breaks a heel, leaves her shoes behind, and climbs over bumpers. The scene ahead is red with spinning lights. Finally, she sees the two-story white house at 30, 3250 Woodbine, surrounded by ambulances, police cars, and a TV truck. She runs faster. View from behind the mask as Mrs. Wallace is followed. Exterior night at the house. Reporter Robert Mundy stands in a circle of light, microphone in hand. Not since that night 15 years ago when young Michael Myers tragically murdered his sister can the town of Haddonfield recall such a... Mrs. Wallace is stopped by police officers. Sorry, ma'am, but you can't... This is my house! She wrestles free and makes a dash for the porch. Mommy! Lindsay! The front door is locked. Mommy! Mommy, help! 
Mrs. Wallace at the door. She pounds and pounds. Suddenly, the noise fades out and the lights dim around her. She starts to turn back to the street. Help me, somebody, please! My little girl! She completes her turn. The lights, police cars, ambulances, TV truck, traffic, all are gone. The street is dark, empty, normal. Mommy? Mrs. Wallace turns back to the house, confused and terrified. Let me in! Lindsay! Her fists strike the door and sink in. The wood has become soft, yielding. It tears like a doughy membrane, and she falls through into darkness. Then the door solidifies again, reforming, sealing over. Interior Wallace House, distorted. Mrs. Wallace climbs to her feet and looks around. Dim, the living room unclear, tinged with warm, stray light. She takes a few steps, feeling her way. Then ahead on the stairs, the silhouette of a child, a little girl. Lindsay? Thank God. The little girl does not move. Baby, come to me. She holds out her arms, but the little girl stays where she is. Don't be afraid. I'm here. Mrs. Wallace starts for the staircase. She bumps into something, a lamp and table, almost knocks it over, straightens it, and notices that it is soft and sticky. Her hand comes away wet and red. Lindsay, what's happened? She finds the lamp again, switches it on, and the light bulb explodes. She's sprayed with drops of moisture, her hands, arms, all covered with the spray. More drops fall onto her face. She looks up. Don't move. We've got to, we've got to. The little girl on the stairs raises a hand and we see that she is holding a large butcher knife. Mrs. Wallace draws back, cowering against the furniture, which is soft and yielding. The little girl raises the knife higher, holds the pose like a mechanical doll and breaks open, splitting down the middle to reveal the shape, dressed in black, crawling up out of her skin to stand there tall on the stairs, the knife now in his hand. The shape starts down the stairs, coming for Mrs. Wallace, knocking objects aside with the knife as he slashes the overstuffed sofa and chairs tear open and spray like severed arteries. The room and Mrs. Wallace are drenched in blood. Exterior, night, house. The Wallace house begins to change. The porch pillars shift and move closer together as it contracts like a living thing. Two pumpkins upstairs like eyes. The door, a mouth. A stream of blood oozes from beneath the door, spreading down the porch to the sidewalk and gutter. The row of white houses, windows orange with grinning jack-o'-lanterns, like a line of skulls closing ranks in the moonlight. And in front of them all, the street running with blood as the shadow of a huge shape falls across the rapidly flowing stream. Sound of a scream. Interior morning, bedroom, the present. Mrs. Wallace tosses in bed, screaming into her pillow. Mr. Wallace shakes her awake. A, a dream, honey. That's all. 
She opens her eyes and looks around, then hugs him desperately. After a few seconds, she pulls herself together, efficient and controlled again. Where's Lindsay? Still in bed. I'll wake her for school. I, I can do it. What time is it? She focuses on the clock on the nightstand. 7.15. You were having another bad one. The same? Never mind. Maybe we ought to see someone. You know, get some pills. I said it doesn't matter. It happens every year. Damn Halloween. He studies her, concerned. Coffee? I'll make it. He kisses her forehead, but she brushes him off. I'm okay. Really. You'll be late for work. Interior morning, Lindsay's room. Her snooze alarm goes off. She slaps it down. She's already up and dressed. 17 and prettier than she knows. <laughs> A tapping on her door. All right, I hear you. I don't want any breakfast. Mr. Wallace opens the door a crack. Lindsay? Yeah? He comes in. Drive you this morning? No, thanks. He starts to withdraw. Is everything all right? Like what? Oh, things. School, for instance. School's fine. I have a stomachache, that's all. It'll go away. Got yourself a boyfriend yet? Daddy, please. I just figured there's the homecoming dance. Thought you might be going this time. I have to go. I'm on the committee. That's not what I mean. I know what you mean. Well? Well, what? He gives up. His face is tender with unexpressed love for her. See you later, kiddo. He leaves, closing the door. She stands there for a moment. You wouldn't understand. She goes to her window, looks out. Lindsay's point of view through the window, the Doyle house across the street. But you understand, don't you, Tommy? You remember, even if I don't. Interior, morning, kitchen. As the phone rings, Mrs. Wallace putters around in her robe, startled. She glances at the kitchen clock, 7.30. Frowning, she answers the phone. Hello? Interior morning, Tommy Doyle's bedroom. The back of a teenage boy's head as he sits with phone in hand. Through the open window, he's watching the Wallace house on the other side of the street. Is Lindsay there? Wallace kitchen. Yes, just a... Who is this? Silence on the line. Is anybody there? If this is some kind of joke. Please, Mrs. Wallace, may I talk to Lindsay? No, you may not. My daughter doesn't need friends like you. Tommy Doyle, I told you before, don't call again. She hangs up. Lindsay comes into the kitchen. Who is that? Tommy's bedroom. Tommy sits listening to the dial tone. He is a handsome boy of 17. Sensitive. Nervous. You gotta talk to her. It's important. It's about Halloween. On the walls are posters and covers from horror magazines. 
Fangoria and the like, all showing frightening figures of some sort. Also pictures cut out of newspapers, articles, eight by tens, dark figures with faces in shadow, a rogues gallery, as if he had been researching an obsession. I know, Lindsay. This time I really know. He continues to hold the buzzing receiver, staring out at the house across the street. You'll find out, Mrs. Wallace, after it's too late for all of you, you bitch. He reaches out and rips a handful of photos from the wall, then slams down the phone. Interior morning, another bedroom. As another phone rings, Detective Hunt digs out from under the covers and snares the receiver. Huh? No, I never heard of him. He hangs up, crawls back under the covers. The phone rings again. Yeah. What? Lee? Oh, oh, good morning, sir. He sits up, clears his head, rattles the alarm clock, tosses it down. Uh, no, sir, I was just, uh, <clears throat> where? Looks like we got ourselves some trouble. The shopping bag. I don't care, Gary, I need you. In the waiting, uh, in the waiting area are several angry women carrying signs. Never again, no Halloween in Haddonfield, etc. I couldn't keep a lid on it. Now get your ass over here while I got while I hold down the fort. I've called Warren County for backup if they ever get here. He hangs up, opens the door to his office, and goes out to face the angry women. Oh, there's no Mrs. Doyle. Good morning, Sheriff. What's really going on? What are you going to do about it? Hello, Mrs. Doyle. <laughs> we field, not after what happened years ago, and now it's starting again. They're even showing horror movies at the drive-in. That's across the river, out of my jurisdiction. Well, where are you going to the if you can't protect our children. Wait a minute. What is it with you ladies? Do you think you're telling me something I don't know? Well, apparently somebody has to remind you, Sheriff. Are you yeah. a mother, Mrs. <laughs> no, I'm not. But it's not just the children. We heard about the trouble last night. If you and your men don't do something fast, it could get out of hand. It could. I had a daughter. Mrs. Nolan, a teenager. My Annie was one of Michael Myers' victims when it broke out in 78, and I saw her killer burn to the ground before the night was over. Now, why don't you get back home where you belong? Nothing's starting again, I promise you. There'll be no Halloween in Haddonfield. Interior, Hunt's bedroom. As he finishes dressing, the shades are up on a bright autumn morning. He reaches for his holster, pauses. On the dresser, Hunt as a high school athlete, a soldier, a police rookie, a certificate of commendations from 1978, and framed clippings about the Myers murders, including a shot of Brackett and the headline, Grief-Stricken Sheriff Sees Justice Done. He touches the rosewood grip. I'm sure I scrolled too much. Just a sec. <laughs> He touches the rosewood grip of his 38 special. Sound of giggling from outside as children pass on their way to school. Through the window, we see them skipping along the sidewalk. 
No more days to Halloween. 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 <laughs> no more days to Halloween. Hunt opens a drawer. Thank you, children's chorus. Hunt opens a drawer, unwraps a 44 Magnum, and switches it for the 38. Then he straps on the holster. Exterior, morning, Woodbine Street. A lineup of clean residential houses. Dogs bark. Doors slam as teenagers leave for school. Lindsay crosses the lawn of the Wallace house, hefting her books. She sees another teenage girl, Leah, and hurries for the sidewalk. Leah, hey. Hi. Did you need that English homework? Leah walks a few paces, stops. She looks around to be sure no one will see her talking to Lindsay. Uh, yeah, I guess. I'm in a hurry. Oh, I've got it right here. Wait up. Mrs. Wallace comes out onto the porch, the same house as in the dream, only now it's back to normal. Lindsay? What? I want to talk to you. Can it wait? Lindsay? Lindsay hesitates. Forget it. Lindsay considers turning back, then lowers her head and keeps walking. Don't you move, young lady. Interior, Wallace car. Mrs. Wallace backing out to intercept her daughter. She puts on the brakes and leans over to open the door. Get in. Uh, but my, my friends. What friends? Tommy Doyle? No, mother. I wasn't going to Tommy's house. School starts in 20 minutes. Then let's go. The car pulls out and heads down the street. They pass Leah and several other girls who laugh and whisper as the car goes by. Thanks. I suppose there's something wrong with my driving you to school. You should be grateful that we have two cars. You haven't done it all year. What do you want from me? You said to make friends. Well, I'm trying. This isn't like the rest of the year. It is if you'll let it be. I was eight years old. I don't even remember. Yes. Lindsay, your father and I, we've been meaning to have a talk with you. I talked to daddy this morning. He didn't have anything special to say. We don't think it's a good idea for you to see so much of Tommy. Why? Well, I understand from Mrs. Nolan that he's still seeing a psychiatrist. So? I used to see a shrink too. You made me. I just don't think he's the right kind of friend for you now. He's not like other boys his age. Frankly, Lindsay, he's always been strange. Have you met my English teacher? That's strange. Mother, there is nothing wrong with Tommy. He understands a lot of things. A lot better than you do. Because of what you went through together when you were children? That's just it. There's no need for you to remember more of it than you have to. I told you, I don't remember. Would you get that through your head? Don't talk to me that way. What way? I don't know why I talk to you at all. You never listen. I only want what's best for you. We don't want you to grow up like, well, like... Who? 
Never mind. We'll talk about it later. The car comes to an intersection. A group of teenagers on foot are turning right into a sidewalk. Into a side street. Turn here. It's faster. Mrs. Wallace considers, then proceeds straight ahead. I don't care if it's faster. Why? Because the Myers house is down there? We'll get you to school. Don't you worry. The car comes to an intersection. Oops. The Wallace car passes the corner, and the group of teenagers headed this way. In the foreground is the Myers house. It is an archetypical haunted house with overgrown yard and a tilted for sale strode realty sign. In among the weeds are a few straggly wild vines with several undersized orange pumpkins scattered through the grass like misshapen children's heads. One of the teenagers is Leah. Another car moves up the street and slows next to Leah, pacing her. The car slows to a stop. A hand reaches over and opens the passenger door. Leah stops, startled. Then she recognizes the car. It is her boyfriend, Sean, 19. Need a ride, little girl? Sean, where were you this morning? You said... I know, I know. I, I had to work the late shift last night. You could have called me. I tried to. No, you didn't. <laughs> hey, do, do you want a ride or not? No, I don't. Not if you're so busy. Why don't you give your friend Jennifer a ride? She walks on. He gets out of the car and stops her on the sidewalk in front of the Myers house. Oh, look, I'm, I'm sorry, okay? I, at least I've got a job. Yeah, at the stop and start. Beats going to school. How would you like it if I was in college? Then you'd never see me. Leah looks down and doesn't say anything. Then the other teenagers have walked on, leaving her behind. Only the empty street and the Myers house. All right. You can find somebody else to take you to the drive-in. Maybe I will ask Jennifer. Is that okay with you? He walks back to his car. Leah looks at the Myers house and the overgrown yard. Some of the vines have grown across the sidewalk. No. What? I, I didn't hear you. All right. Come on, let's get out of here. This place gives me the creeps. Boogeyman's gonna get ya. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, Michael Myers, take a bite off of this. He picks up a rock and hurls it at the side window of the Myers house, sound of glass breaking. Then Sean and Leah get in the car and drive away. Interior Myers house, a pale muscular hand reaches down, picks up the rock from the floor and carries it to the broken window watching the group of teenagers disappear up the street and the car driving away. The hand grips the rock tighter and tighter. There's a breaking sound. The hand opens. The rock has split into pieces. Exterior morning outside high school. As Lindsay climbs out of her mother's car, three teenage girls, Darcy, Brooke, and Corey, see Lindsay. Oh, God. Bruh, there's Lindsay Wallace. She's so lame. Her mother won't even let her go out on dates. I hear she knew Michael Myers. She's weird. 
I know what, Darcy. Why don't you ask her if she can double tonight after the dance? Me and Richie and Corey and Keith in one car. Sure, of course. I totally don't even have a date yet. Lonnie's going to ask you. Oh, yeah, right. Anyway, who'd want to go out with Lindsay? I bet I know someone. Tommy Doyle. (laughs) They laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Then stifle themselves as Lindsay looks their way. And come straight home after school. What? Not today. I have to help with the decorations for the dance. Halloween decorations? No, mother. One hour. Then no more. I'll tell daddy to pick you up. Lindsay slams the car door, pissed. (sighs) Mrs. Wallace locks the door after her daughter. She's about to drive away when she notices something. A shape standing apart from the crowd at the top of the steps. Black clothes, no face, or rather a white featureless mask. The shape stands to one side half in shadow and cocks its head like a dog as Lindsay ascends the steps. Mrs. Wallace covers her mouth, leans over for a better look, rolls down the window. Lindsay! Lindsay refuses to look back, climbing the steps head down. Suddenly, she bumps into someone at the top. She drops her books, startled. It is Mr. Crabb, her English teacher. Lindsay, hello. I meant to tell you after class yesterday, your paper on fate versus free will, it was outstanding. Huh? Oh, oh, hi. Hey, Mr. Crabb. Thanks. He helps her gather her books. He presses them into her arms with what is perhaps too lingering a gesture. Uh, What you had to say about Wittgenstein was right on the money. It's a pleasure having you as a student. The bell rings. I gotta go. Uh, If you ever need... Mrs. Oldfield, Lindsay's drama teacher, intervenes. In trouble, Lindsay? She helps Lindsay get a better hold on her books. Mrs. Oldfield, uh, uh, no, I I guess not. Come on now. You wouldn't want to be late for homeroom. Lindsay walks into the building with her, grateful to be rescued. Lindsay and her teachers enter the building at the top of the steps. The shape is gone. Was it really there? No. No. Can't be starting again. I won't let it. Sound of a siren as a police car cruises by. She waves her arm to get the cop's attention, but the police car accelerates and pulls away. In the police car, Detective Hunt at the wheel. He checks out the school as he passes, then punches up his two-way radio. Roger, HQ. Repeat. Ah, uh, come off it. Haul your jaws over to the mall. We've got a whole lot of shit to deal with this morning. Don't talk to any reporters. Roger. I mean, I'm on my way. Uh, Lee, uh, do me a favor, Chief. Uh, Ask Mary to call my dentist. I was supposed to go in for a... Well, God damn it, Gary. I've got my hands full here. Yes, sir. Hunt turns on his flasher. The siren grinds louder. And don't 
let's use the horn and bubble machine this time, all right? No need to scare anybody. Just keep a tight asshole. Will you do me do that little thing for me? That's a 10-4. Hunt turns off the flasher and siren and speeds up, clicks on the AM radio, finds the news station. As he passes quiet streets and houses, hard to believe anything is wrong on a morning like this. Soybeans and pork bellies on the local front. Haddonfield residents are up in arms as parents demand greater police protection during the Halloween weekend. The city council will hold an emergency meeting. Hunt clicks it off. Holy shit. Just when everybody thought it was safe to go trick-or-treating again. He tromps on the gas, burning rubber. Exterior morning TV station. A crowd is gathering outside the TV studio. A station car pulls up and reporter Robert Mundy steps out. He is handsome from a distance. He makes his way to the entrance, smiling and waving, but the crowd is not here for his autograph. His smile drops to a pained expression. Interior lobby. Mundy offers his usual greetings to secretaries and staff, but they are busy with irate visitors, one of whom is Mrs. Wallace. Hey, uh, Mundy, uh, Robert Mundy. Hello there. Uh, what happened last night? Is anybody dead? I heard. Mr. Mundy? Yes, dear. How dare you? She slaps him. The lobby is stunned into silence. Have we met? How can you run ads for Halloween after what this town has been through? Those are network spots, ma'am. You should talk to the advertising director. Where's your sense of responsibility? If you think... Barry, the news director, grabs Mundy's arm. File your complaints with the FCC. Hey, come on, Bob. Blood. That's what it means. Our children's blood will be on your hands. You'll see. In here. Barry leads Mundy towards an office. I've got the president of the PTA on line one. Uh, there's going to be a demonstration if we don't pull the ado uh, over the uh, Lost River Drive-In. Uh, tell the them ad. I'll get back to them. Uh, they won't like that. Then tell them to watch Channel 83. Well, they still won't like that. Then tell them to go to hell. Yes, sir. Barry closes the door to his office. Interior, news director's office. Hey, uh, whatever happened to that retrospective of the Myers murders? Oh, uh, we killed it a long time ago. Dig out the tapes. You're not serious. If we run that now, they'll stone us to death. Well, we've got to do something. Take a look. Barry runs through the channels on his TV monitor, snatches of commercials on other stations. Shuttle Shoes, the Halloween edition. Monster slurps at the Weenie Wigwam. There's even a horror marathon at the drive-in. Not here. They have to go to Harden or Russellville. They get TV here, don't they? The network's running Day of the Dead, for God's sake. But not us. I'm supposed to give up the ad buys because some poor schmuck got killed here once upon a time? It wasn't just some poor schmuck, Mary. Uh, there were at least ten. These people remember. So Haddonfield's different. So what? Let's make news out of the difference. Uh, what are you suggesting? 
Damn it, news is a business. Plus, there's a First Amendment issue. And uh, there's a First Amendment issue involved here. Burying our heads in the sand won't change anything. If it could, prohibition uh, still would be on the books. I've got to get to makeup. Forget the morning edition. Laura can handle it. Get yourself a cameraman. Go out and bring me back something I can use. Something hot. Be creative. Like? Drive up to the sanitarium, shoot some stuff about how it couldn't happen now. And the sheriff, how he's guarding the little settlement. Even Strode Realty prices on homes are going up again. Are they? Find out! I don't think Mr. Strode will talk. His stepdaughter, Lori, was Michael Myers' other sister. Then talk to the survivors. That Doyle kid, I hear he saw the whole thing. Write him a note. Get him out of school. Uh, I don't know, Barry. I'll give you an hour tonight. Prime time. You know, Bob, there might be a Golden Mike Award in this for you. You really think so? Interior morning, high school corridor. Lindsay fumbles with her locker, trying to beat the clock. A note has been stuck in the slot. She starts to unfold it, but the bell rings. She's late. Alone in the hallway, she feels eyes on her back. Turns. No one there. Only the polished floor, like a tunnel with a mirage at the end. Someone standing there? She squints. No. She slips into class. Interior morning, classroom. Lindsay sitting in class. As the minutes tick by, Mrs. Oldfield's voice droning on. Lindsay takes out the note. Biology lab. Let's let... First lunch. Lindsay leans back and zones out as the lecture grinds on, stares out the window. At another building across the grounds, a movement. Someone at the edge of the building? Now it's gone. As the bell sounds, Lindsay goes to lunch. Walking toward the other building. Kids peeling off in all directions, but she knows where she's going. Interior, biology lab. Lindsay enters. She sidles in warily. Semi-dark. Benches, Bunsen burgers, flasks. Sound of scratching as of tiny claws. Knock, knock. She moves farther in, hugging the wall. Sound of scratching louder. Now a sudden electric buzzing. The claws scrabble wildly. Lindsay flattens against the wall and sees that it is stacked with cages filled with hundreds of rats. The rats scramble madly over one another. Then the buzzing stops. The rats are quiet again. Lindsay starts to leave when a hand touches her neck. I was afraid you wouldn't come. She collapses against him. The gesture seems natural. Then, embarrassed by the contact, they separate. Tommy, what is all of this? Uh, it's a stress rig. Of what? They, they get an electric shock every two minutes, 24 hours a day. Then they get dissected. The thymus, the spleen, the lymph nodes, and of course, the stomach. Of course. The adrenal cortex, it's enlarged. The lymphatic structures, they're shrunken. And there are ulcers in the stomach, always. It's a syndrome. Is this why you wanted to meet me? Or, wait. <laughs> is this why you wanted me to meet you? What are you trying to prove? 
Well, I, I didn't set this up, but I thought you should see it so you'd understand. I gotta go. Lindsay, don't you see? All I see is a bunch of rats. It's, it's designed to control you by fear, to make you sick and then numb so you don't feel anything. It could work on a whole town. It keeps you in your place, and then it makes you give up, and then... He makes a cutting motion across his throat. Tommy's voice fades as Lindsay starts to remember something. Flashback montage, quick cuts from the climax of Halloween. Tommy and Lindsay, eight years old, running to escape the shape, holding hands, clutching each other, screaming. As Lindsay snaps out of it, Tommy's voice again. Don't you get it? I don't know. Boogeyman is dead. We know that, if only you remember. Our parents don't believe it, but we don't have to be afraid anymore. I'm not so sure. Think, Lindsay, and they won't be able to make you sick. It's the adults who are afraid. They want to keep us that way, to control us, so we won't grow up to be like Michael Myers. It's them. Lindsay stares at him, wide-eyed. Slowly, she takes his hand from her arm and moves it to her cheek, then touches his face, wonderingly, rediscovering him and herself. I'll try, Tommy. I want him to tell you you don't have to be scared. But they're never going to let us see each other. I know. We only have ourselves. I'm not going to let him make us crazy anymore. I'm not afraid to remember. But my mother is. She doesn't want me to. Yeah, your mother's a bitch. That's because there's no boogeyman now to make you behave. He's dead. That's the secret. I wish I could believe you. Suddenly, the buzzer sounds again, rattling the cages. Tommy reaches up and rips the electric wire from the cages. The buzzing stops. The rats, confused, try to make sense of it, huddling together. You'd better. It's the only chance you've got. Exterior day. The mall. Hunt's car parked in front of the shopping bag. A small crowd gathered around. Graffiti on the building. Halloween is back. Interior store. Cardboard boxes and broken bottles scattered around. Hunt is checking it out with the manager and assistant. I locked up like I always do. Put the money in the safe. You told me to do that, Mr. Severin, and I did it. I know you did, Hal. Nobody's accusing anybody. Did they hit the safe? Fortunately, no. Who could have done this? Can you give me a list of what's missing? As soon as I take inventory, I'll have to close for half a day, and that's going to cost me. They took a couple cases of beef jerky. Right over here. I had them stacked six to a row. And steaks. They may have been a lot of them. Peppy ran off. Best god dog a man ever had. Well, no, he couldn't have been that good, now could he? I should have showed him the storeroom. The manager gestures to cool it. Then he makes an elaborate ritual out of picking up a little wan frozen burrito wrapper and dangling it disdainfully between thumb and forefinger as if it were a used rubber. Look at this. The nerve of those animals. They should be horsewhipped. Uh-huh. And uh, what about the storeroom? No need to go in there. I'm sure they didn't get in that way. Then how? Reluctantly, 
the manager stands aside. Interior, storeroom. The storeroom is semi-dark, with irregular stacks of boxes jutting up at various heights like a jumble of gravestones. Hunt pokes around perfunctorily, starts to leave, then he kicks an empty, torn shipping carton marked Ace Mask and Costume Company. He explores further and finds more cartons, same type. Mr. Severin, what are you doing with Halloween supplies? You know they're against the law in Haddonfield, now don't you? Unless you're planning on violating the ordinance. A a man's gotta stay in business. Kids can go across the county line, get whoever they want, supply and demand. It's the American way. I'll straighten up. Would you not, Harold? The assistant shrugs and tries to make himself scarce. He shuffles over to the wall and leans against a line of boxes, puts his arm out casually, and strums his fingers on the top of a dusty carton. Suddenly, the stack of cartons collapses, revealing a dead dog hanging from a rope that runs down from the overhead window, still dripping blood. The dog sways there in a dusty beam of light, the rope creaking, dripping. Oh, sweet Jesus. Will you take a look at Peppy? Hunt sizes up the window, the broken glass on the sill, the rope. They came in through the window. The dog went for them and they tried to get back. Or tried to get back up, only the dog didn't make it. He got cut, fell back, caught in the rope. Could have happened that way. Oh, I'll kill him with my hands. No, you don't. They killed him. Did they? I'll put it down the... I'll put it down the other way for now. This is for you, too, Harold. You listening to me? Exterior, store. Hunt's car parked in front, radio still on. Another break-in. Old River School Road. uh, Save on drugs. The confirmation uh, on Circle K and the Mini Mart on Chestnut. Across the front of the store, more graffiti. Long live Halloween, trick or treat, etc. All units, get hustling. Whoever they are, let's get them. Looks like they're going to be busy this year, so happy Halloween. Storeroom, as before, except now Hunt, the manager, and the assistant have gone empty. Moving in past uneven rows of boxes under dusty beams of light from the small high windows to the hanged dog. And two words smeared on the wall in blood. He lives. Fade out. Fade in. Interior car, day. Robert Mundy at the wheel. Next to him is a cameraman listening to the news. Marring this season of renewal and rebirth. On a brighter note, Jay... What is this word? Jack Jack Frost. Jack. (laughs) Jack Frost has promised to hold the first chill after Halloween. So see you at the horathon. My kids wouldn't miss it if I let them go. (laughs) Mundy tunes to music. The cameraman tries to light a cigarette, but the wind blows the match out. Throws the match out the window. Tries another. No. Throws the second match away. No more matches. Throws the matchbook out the window. Pushes in the dashboard lighter, pats himself down while he waits, 
Mundy offers his lighter. Gold. Engraved. R.M. Cameraman takes it, gets the cigarette going, inhales, and throws the lighter out the window. Mundy does a double take, <laughs> curses, grabs the cigarette out of the cameraman's mouth, and throws it after the lighter. Cameraman looks surprised, as in, what did I do? Mundy grabs the wheel and bears down. Exterior day, Smith's Grove, Warren County Sanitarium. Close on a man in a white hospital gown. He's bent over the lawn with a stick in one hand, watching a small hole in the ground, a movement in the hole. He swings the stick, misses, then another movement. He swings again, too late. Two other people in white gowns approach to observe, an old man with a beard and a woman. The first man continues to swing, miss. As Mundy and his cameraman come upon the scene, led by an attendant, the camera sights through his video cam. Uh, no pictures. It's it's against policy. Whose policy? Uh, state regulations. If you'll follow me, uh, Dr. Stern is waiting. You mean we came all this way and I can't shoot any footage? Uh, Dr. Stern is the only person with authority. We should move right along. These people... Are they inmates? Patients, Peter and Zoe. And the tall one, we call him the priest. Peter, you'll have to give me that. Reluctantly, Peter gives up the stick. What are they doing? Uh, recreation. Mundy steps over to introduce himself, holds out his hand. The three patients look up. <clears throat> uh, Robert Mundy, WWAR News. They ignore him and turn back to the hole. If you follow me, uh, Dr. Stern has a full schedule. Mundy and the cameraman follow the attendant. The three patients, with the visitors out of range, they return to their game. Peter looks to the priest, who signals him to continue. Peter smiles and stands ready. The priest stops his arm, leads him to another hole a few yards away, and points commandingly. The game resumes. When a rabbit appears this time, Peter jumps on it and catches it. He grins and holds up the rabbit by the ears. The priest puts a hand on Peter's shoulder and presses him to his knees, clasping his head as if giving a benediction. Zoe jumps up and down and claps her hands. Interior, Dr. Stern's office. Mundy is ushered in, cameraman following. Dr. Marion Stern, 40, severe, rises behind her desk. Dr. Stern, I presume. Please sit down, and your friend will have to wait outside. We were hoping to tape an interview. If time permits. The cameraman remains outside as the door is closed. I'm sorry to come here on such short notice. You said on the phone that you're interested in our security procedures? Among other. And that you're from Haddonfield. That means you're going to ask a lot of questions about the Myers case, yes? I'm surprised you're finally willing to talk to the press. After all, he did escape from this facility, go on a rampage. There have been a great many unfortunate rumors. <clears throat> I thought it time to dispel them. If you're interested in the truth. That's what I'm here for. But why now? Dr. Rogers, my predecessor, was forced to resign 
the sanitarium's reputation has been in question ever since. If I could record some of this. First, some background. She goes to a VCR and inserts a cassette. Michael Myers was Sam Lo Dr. Sam Loomis's patient. I was present the night he escaped. We were transporting him to a sanity hearing before the state. He'd been in Sam's care for 15 years. Because he murdered his sister when he was six. So they say. But he was never properly adjudicated before a court of law. He was a minor. And he refused to speak. Not one word. The trauma of finding of sister, the accusations. He did kill 10 people the night he broke out before he died. And Dr. Loomis. I don't know which is the greater tragedy, that a boy should be so warped by the archaic laws, in a sense, a monster created by society, or that Dr. Loomis was destroyed by his own paranoid obsession. Well, you're losing me. Perhaps this will help. She starts the tape. VCR footage of a clean, sterile room, bright windows, bars. Seated on a stool is a boy of nine or ten, back to the camera, staring through the bars at the sun. Seated on another stool is Dr. Sam Loomis. Michael? Mike? The boy does not move. Mikey? Is that what they call you? Talk to me, Mikey. Tell me about your mother and father, your sister. Do you remember your sister? What happened to her? Loomis gets up, paces. For three years, we've been doing this. I'm losing my patience, Mikey. It's true, but I'm not going to give up. You think you can wear me down? You won't win, you know. I'm going to see this through to the end, no matter how long it takes. Loomis turns to the camera, sweating. You can turn that thing off now. He's, he's not going to say anything. Waste of time. But the tape does not stop. Loomis approaches the boy, becoming angry. You think you're fooling everybody, don't you? Well, I know your game. We've seen it played by experts. It won't work. You're not fooling me. I know who you are, what you are. Loomis leans over the stool, shouting, enraged. Mikey, that's a name for a human boy. And you're not that, are you? Your name must be, let's see, does your kind even have a name? What do they call you in the place where you came from? What's the proper name for evil these days? Answer me by God or I'll- Loomis raises his fist. The boy starts to turn from the window, cocking his head to one side. Dr. Stern's office. Dr. Stern touches the pause button and freezes the tape. Went on like that for 12 more years. Michael became his fixation. As you can see, he was already suffering from the delusion that Michael was more than a boy. Eventually, he decided that the child was the incarnation of some pagan druidic cult. 
the very essence of evil, something subhuman. Instead of the isolated, confused baby that he was. And he did murder. Michael was driven mad. Until he did what any child does. What is expected of him. Sam's paranoia infected his entire institution. It may have extended beyond these walls. Soon patients began to participate in the delusion, treating Michael as if he were some kind of dark god to be worshipped. I ask you, Dr. Mundy. Dr. Stern touches another button and the face of Michael Myers zooms in until it fills the screen. Out of the shadow of his face shine two utterly expressionless ice blue eyes. Is this the face of pure, unadulterated evil? Interior hallway outside office. As the cameraman lights a cigarette, he is alone on a bench. Looks around. The attendant is gone. He picks up his camera, aims it, tapes a few feet of the surroundings. Video cam point of view through the viewfinder. The wall's signs finally focusing down the slickly polished corridor ahead. The cameraman looks around one more time. No one to stop him. He puts his eye to the camera again and walks forward. Viewfinder point of view, walking down the corridor, reaching out to try doors, each one locked, moving on. At last, near the end, a door marked day room. This one is unlocked. He steps in a bare, well-lighted room, barred windows, a stool, panning the surroundings, sound of a foot scraping. Camera whips around to see the three patients, Peter, Zoe, and the priest, rushing forward, the camera tilts and drops. In the day room, the cameraman falls to the floor with a yell as they swoop down on him. Cameraman's point of view, as hands reach in for him, he yells louder. The door bursts open and two orderlies pull the patients off. They wrest the cameraman away and shove him out into the corridor. Orderly number one covers him against the wall while orderly number two sees to the patients. What's the matter with you, civilian? Don't you know this is off limits? In the day room, the door is closed and locked on an empty room. Coming to rest on a tall, dark figure in the shadows of one corner. It is a dummy, a stuffed effigy dressed in black, suspended from the ceiling like an icon. A white, featureless face, and at its feet is the rabbit which is now dead, a bloody sacrifice. Pinned to the coat of the dummy is a hand-drawn sign, the Lord of the Dead. Exterior day, a residential street near the high school, a long car, actually a souped-up modified old 50s Cadillac hearse, is parked at the curb. As three boys, late teens, one out of high school, unload cartons from the hearse, Lonnie, Keith, and Richie. Keith and Richie move the boxes while Lonnie keeps watch. They're carrying the boxes to Lonnie's garage. Come on, my mom gets back and sees you guys. Us, you mean. 
I didn't want to do this. It was your idea, Keith. Like, yeah, a little late for that. Darcy comes sneaking around the car. She puts her hands over Lonnie's eyes. Bastard. Lonnie squirms away, sees who it is. Oh, hi, Darcy. We were just, you know. I heard all about it. Think you're pretty slick, huh? She opens one of the cartons, revealing four six-packs. Uh, it's, it's my brother's. You don't have a brother, Richie. Okay, my brother's friend. Uh, he owns a liquor store. You mean the Mini Mart? The one that got broken into last night? Uh, that wasn't us, Darcy. Yeah, some of your little high school friends. What about the Circle K? Somebody must be having a real big party. Listen, it was all over when we got there. Richie made a deal for four cases, okay? The shopping bag, too? We don't know anything about the shopping bag. And that's for real, Darcy. Whatever. Corey and Brooke want to know if you scored any wine. All right. All right. It was supposed to be a surprise. There's a case of California coolers. We got them for you guys, you know, for the drive-in. Really? Can I go? I thought you didn't, I thought like, you didn't like horror movies. I don't have to watch the movie, do I? That's for Lon. Lonnie blushes. Before he can speak, Darcy throws her arms around his neck. Love to tell Corey and Brooke. Um, are we supposed to bring anything? Yeah, how about pumpkin pie? Wrong kind. Don't worry, Richie and Keith laugh. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll pick up something, it'll be our surprise anyway. Gotta get back to school. Lunch is over. Goodbye, Darcy. <laughs> Lonnie walks a few steps with her. Don't pay attention to them, babe. I mean, you know. Do me a favor, Lonnie. Sure. Stop apologizing so much. It won't get you anywhere. She kisses Lonnie on the cheek. A little boy, Lonnie's kid brother, Billy, comes out of the house and stands watching from the porch. Oop, uh, Dan, you want to take Billy? (laughs) We can fix it in post. It's all good. (laughs) That's what post is for. I'll take Billy. He seems to be a one-scene wonder. There you go. Can I help Lonnie? Hey, little man, you're supposed to be sick. What are you doing? Nothing. Is she your new girlfriend? Billy, Billy, get back in the house or I'll tell mom. But is she? Billy, I swear. Don't swear. It isn't nice. Bye, boys. I'll see you tonight. 
She walks away, leaving Richie and Keith laughing and whistling. Lonnie looks after her, embarrassed. Gulp. Exterior day, following Darcy at the high school. Back on campus, lunch is almost over. Darcy walks up the steps to the administration building. Interior high school corridor. Darcy opens her locker, tears open a Twinkie. Sound of voices. She turns to see Mundy and the cameraman in the office. Interior high school office. Mundy and cameraman are at the counter, talking to an elderly female vice principal. Are you sure? Lori Strode graduated in 79. After that... And you don't have a forwarding address? This is for the eyeball news. Wouldn't you like to be on television? I don't have that information. Do you still want to see Tommy Doyle? If it's not too much trouble. The vice principal hands a hall pass to a teenage monitor who hurries out. As Mundy and the cameraman wait, Darcy enters the office. If you want to find Lori Strode, why don't you just call her folks? We tried that. Did you know her? No. But I know one thing. What's that? I've seen you on TV. Can I have your autograph? <laughs> uh, why, uh, of course you can. Darcy fumbles for a piece of paper. Finally, she gives up and offers him her arm. As Mundy signs her arm, the cameraman sizes her up. Can I ask you a question? You think I can handle being an anchor woman? The cameraman hands her his card. Call me. I'll get you an interview. Thanks. As Darcy leaves, the cameraman raises his camera and leans into the hall, sighting through the viewfinder. Through the viewfinder, Darcy walking away, zooming in on her tight jeans. You're an animal. New talent. She's got a lot of uh, potential. A shadowy figure stands at the end of a row of lockers. Darcy is startled as she passes the figure. It is Tommy. Tommy, what are you doing hiding like that? Hi, Darcy. Uh, I wasn't hiding or staring at you creepily. How are you? <laughs> what are you? The boogeyman? Um, I was just... Do me a favor. Stay away from me, retard. Tommy's face shows hurt. Misunderstood again. He stares after her sadly as she walks away. Tommy through the viewfinder. Tommy is outside in front of the high school. Next to him is Mundy holding a microphone. Mundy straightens his tie. I'm standing outside Haddonfield High where several of the victims attended school. With me is Tommy Doyle. Tommy, you were a witness to the sensational events back in 78. What events? You actually saw some of the murders, isn't that right? No. Of course, you were uh, very young then. It must have been, it must be hard to remember. No. 
Monday is squirming. He tries to salvage the interview. Uh, tell me, Tommy, do kids still talk about Michael Myers? I can't speak for anybody else. They must feel so much more secure today, as we all do, knowing it's in the past. No. Well, does anybody have anything to say about the Myers case? Power of the runes. Uh, yes, people, <laughs> people like you, adults, you, you won't let it be. <laughs> uh, I was perfectly willing to let it be. In it, in it. Then why don't you? Look, did you see anyone die or not? Mm -hmm. I did, as a matter of fact. But you don't want to hear about it. I'll be the judge of that. Who did you see? The boogeyman. Oh, that's great. You're beautiful. You saw the boogeyman. I can really use that. Cut. Go ahead. Cut me off. You don't want to hear the truth, man. If you have something to say, say it. I saw Michael Myers die. You got that out there? The boogeyman is dead. D-E-D. -D, dead. Tommy walks out of the frame. Mundy lowers his microphone, twitching with frustration. Barry's not going to want any of this. Why not, if it's true? Is it? Interior High School Auditorium, day. The bell rings. School is out. As a dozen high school students wander in to decorate the auditorium for the homecoming dance. Corey and Brooke enter, talking. So they're picking us up. Outside the dance. Why outside? Because Keith got kicked out in 11th grade and Richie hates everybody's guts at the school. Can you imagine them at the homecoming dance? I can't even imagine me at this dance alone. Why even go? Everybody wants to get out of town tonight, escape from Haddonfield. Where's Darcy? She had to go get something. A surprise for the guys. It's going to be good. Well, I got a surprise for her. How are we supposed to get here? And then how are we all going to fit in the car? It might get kind of crowded, if you know what I mean. Chill out. Here comes Lindsay. Heads turn as Lindsay walks in. The other girls go to work with crepe paper and signs. Lindsay's left alone. She picks up a staple gun. Lindsay, hi, I can do that. I don't mind. No, really, why don't you start on the tables? The decorations are back there. Lindsay looks at her suspiciously. At last, she smiles. Okay. Lindsay goes to the stage, pokes around behind the curtain, dark backstage then she backs into something a tall figure in black she screams it is a dummy with a crude face a sign around its neck tommy and below that a drawing of a heart with the initials td plus lw the curtain is yanked aside by miss oldfield Lindsay is crying <laughs> who did this several girls come over to see what's happened brooke and corey hide their grins who? Tell me, Lindsay, you must know. Lindsay stares at Brooke and Corey, but doesn't say anything. All right. Have it your way. 
I want this trash cleared out of here. You have until 4.30 to get your act together. Girls. And if you decide to play any more pranks, it isn't going to be a dance. Do I make myself clear? Yes, yes ma'am. Brooke West, you can take this with you. Get it out of my sight. Miss Oldfield hands Brooke the dummy to carry. Lindsay Wallace. The door closes behind Lindsay as she leaves. Mrs. Oldfield sighs, shakes her head, and gets to work. Lifts a stack of signs in the corner. Hidden behind the signs, she finds a cardboard witch, skeleton, and black cat. Exterior day, pumpkin stand. Late afternoon. Beyond the city limits, where Halloween is in full observance. A pumpkin stand on a lonely corner at the edge of town, just outside the Haddonfield line. On the other side of the street, a sign, Welcome to Haddonfield. On this side, Welcome to Harden. Darcy walks up. She touches a few of the pumpkins uncertainly, pretending that she knows what she's doing. A wizened old proprietor watches her. Use them, don't bruise them. Some of them's mighty ripe. <laughs> How much? Ten cents a pound, cash and carry. That one there looks to be about eh, 13 pounds. Darcy digs in her jeans and counts her money. Of course, uh, you can get yourself a little baby one, but uh, <laughs> they're not much fun, are they? I wouldn't know. Ah, you must be from Haddonfield. Don't know how much fun you have over there. Darcy smooths her hand over the surface of a pumpkin. All are elongated, misshapen. She makes a face back at each one. They aren't quite right. Richie? Keeney? And Lonnie? Uh-uh. A knife swoops down and stabs the pumpkin right in front of her. <gasps> it's going to carve up real nice. The proprietor is standing next to her. He buries the blade to the hilt and starts sawing out eye holes to demonstrate. How much if I buy all three? Well, that depends. You could make me a deal if you see anything you like. He sticks his own face in front of her and grins. <laughs> she looks away repulsed. Eh? He, he turns back to the pumpkin, cutting a nose and grinning mouth. <laughs> I don't think so. Thanks anyway. She starts to leave, but he's in front of her with his knife blade dripping juice and seeds. What? You don't like him? He's my favorite. I call him Freddy. Uh, you wouldn't know another... <sighs> Forget it. Hey, where are you going? I got everything you want right here. Take a look. He goes to the side of the stand and gestures at the lot behind. Behind the stand, a vacant lot with hundreds more pumpkins trucked in for the holidays, like a Christmas tree lot that is full once a year and empty the rest of the time. Mounds of pumpkins 
all sizes and shapes, all very ripe and deep orange under the setting sun. Darcy walked forward into pumpkin land, dazzled. Do you mind if I... What, peel him? Rub up against him? <laughs> Go ahead, take your time. The proprietor pulls a half pint out of his hip pocket, unscrews the top, empty. He smacks his lips. Don't go away. Two minutes now. And we'll have ourselves a, a little drink, you know, to, to celebrate. Yeah. Uh, whatever. Behind her, the proprietor crosses the street to a liquor store. Dum -dum -dum. Darcy steps into the lot, still dazed. More pumpkins than she has ever seen before. Walking as if on eggs, she finds a nice round one, bends over to pull it out, and the whole stack collapses around her. She gets up awkwardly and steps on a ripe one. Her foot sinks into rotten pulp. She shakes it off and Gross. steps down on another one. Ew. She hides the broken pumpkins, then carries the one, a, the one she chose to the edge of the lot. She goes back, selects a second, then a third, stands there satisfied, her back to the lot. Fast track at ground level, following a single pumpkin as it breaks loose from the stacks and rolls faster and faster toward Darcy. She hears it coming, starts to look around, too late. It hits the back of her legs like a bowling ball and knocks her off her feet. She sprawls backward with a splat, smashing pumpkins. She tries to get up, slips on wet pulp. Now more pumpkins rain down on her in a chain reaction. She is half buried. A dark figure towers over her. She fights her way out from under. As the dark figure falls on her, she screams. But it is a scarecrow in a black coat. Part of the display, she pushes it up, away and gets up, her hands and arms dripping with chunky slime. Cracked pumpkins all around, standing amid a battlefield of broken shells. She looks to the street, still no sign of the fire. Her three pumpkins set apart in front. She's got to get them out of here before he gets back and sees the damage. Now he's coming out of the store. No time. She'll have to get away. She starts across the lot laterally, staying out of sight behind the stand. A pumpkin rolls down and taps her ankle. Side steps it. Then another, another, no time to look back. Keep moving. Now an avalanche behind her as the largest mound erupts and the shape bursts forth from underneath. Darcy is toppled from behind like a 10 pin. Then the pumpkins rain down, burying her completely. Sound of her screaming for help as her hand digs out as the blade of a large butcher knife raises in the air, flashing a reflection of the red sunset. The knife arcs down again and again. Orange pieces go flying as the pumpkins nearby are spattered with blood. Darcy's screams stop.
Interior, high school auditorium, early evening. The banners and decorations are now on the walls. A meeting is in progress. Town officials sit at a table on stage. The president bangs his gavel. Special joint meeting of the city council and PTA is now in session. I heard somebody's been hurt already over on Chestnut. The president bangs his gavel again. Now let's not go off the deep end. The police department assures me it's not it's only not the police. Only the poli Oh, sorry. I thought. <laughs> oh, sorry. Wait. That, that, yeah, like I, I thought I was doing it again. <laughs> yes, Jacob, you are correct. You could be. Yes. I'm sorry. I thought no, it's all good. It's all good. Damn you, Taffeta. Damn you to hell. <laughs> okay. I know. President bangs his gavel Here. again. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Okay. Now let's not um, go off the deep end. Now let's not go off the deep end. The police department assures me. It's not only the police. It's the media. WWAR is still running ads for that awful, awful, awful driving. A disheveled man in a shiny suit, the owner of the drive-in, steps forward. Uh, excuse me, but I can't let that go unchallenged. My name's Al Gemsbach. I own the Lost River Drive-In. How do you sleep at night, mister? I sleep pretty good, or I used to. Lately, with VCRs, cable TV, it's a struggle to stay open. They're tearing them down faster than they're building them. Good riddance. Let me ask you, how many of you good people grew up here? The how about you? You're not from around here. No. But where I went to school, mostly we took our dates to the movies. And a heck of a lot of those were at the drive-in. Don't tell me none of you ever went to the Lost River. They showed good pictures then. Not sex and violence and yeah. craziness. Like 50-foot women and blobs and Dracula rising from the grave. Those movies are, are pictures. Movies are different now. When was the last time you were in a movie theater? Well, I... Uh... <laughs> if you people hadn't stopped going, maybe movies would be the way you like them today. <laughs> Listen, I'm losing my shirt trying to stay in business, and now you're trying to shut me down. You think it's going to hurt your kids? Did it hurt you? Would you rather they go park somewhere? That's not the issue. It's Halloween. That's what this is about. Now, the point is well taken. Since 1978, there's been no official observance out of respect to the families of those who lost their lives. Can I say something? The chair recognizes Catherine Oldfield from the high school drama department. Um, you all know me, most of you, anyway. This is my home now, but I'm not a native, and I, might, and I may see things in a different perspective. And I see something that scares me. Yeah! Hear me out! Very scary. Very scary. Abortions for some, tiny American flags for others. Hear me out. I see a warm, caring town that's worked itself into a frenzy pretending that the rest of the world doesn't exist. You've hidden away and blindfolded yourselves, but your children know better. Better they shouldn't. I know your children. In some ways, I know them better than you do. You've saddled them with a fear that could turn into something nobody wants. 
it down. It came before and it will again. We're here talking when we should be home protecting our children. <laughs> Putting blinders on them, you mean. Turning them into scared animals. I say let it rest. Let's bury our dead and get on with the living. Easy for you to say. You've kept the hysteria alive and you're passing it on to them. Some of them weren't even born then. It's a pagan ritual. It's a safety valve. They can be strong if you let them. Instead, they have an unnatural interest. Look, they sneak these into school today. Is that what you're afraid of? She holds up the cardboard witch, skeleton, and black cat. The evil. Evil can't take hold unless it's given a warm welcome. The president bangs his gavel so hard it breaks. Oh, hell. Blood. Blood coming to Haddonfield again. He killed the first time. Then he went after the other sister, but he didn't get her. He'll come back. We've got to stop it. Let's go out and... Rear of auditorium, Tommy is standing in the shadows, watching and listening. His eyes well up with rage, and he begins to tremble. <laughs> Exterior night outside auditorium. As Tommy leaves the auditorium in disgust, he goes to a payphone. Interior night, Wallace House. The phone rings as Lindsay is dressing. She hurries through the house to answer it. I'll get it, Daddy. We see Pastor into the living room where Mr. Wallace is seated before the television set. He's watching the movie, Alice, Sweet Alice. Hello? Tommy, you shouldn't have called. My mom will be home any minute. No, she won't. You're going to be here a long time. Especially your mom. God, what's she doing now? She is living out along with the rest of the town listen i'm getting out of here before it's too late meet me is that your mother no daddy when she puts the phone back to her ear she's missed part of what tommy is saying tommy I i'm not afraid i want to be like everybody else i'm gonna go to the dance anyway no matter what anybody says and then after Tommy, would you like to, uh... Yes, I would. Tommy notices something out of the corner of his eye, a movement in the parking lot. He takes the phone from his ear to get a better look. I was thinking, um, if you want to, I'll meet you there, and, um... Tommy picks up the phone again. So you coming or not? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to tell you. I'll... Again, the movement in the lot. Tommy is distracted. All right, I'll, I'll call you back. He hangs up. What is it? Are you all right? Sound of a dial tone. She hangs up. Mr. Wallace stands near her, observing. Your mother didn't want you to go tonight, you know. Lindsay turns, surprised. I, I was just uh, talking to a friend. It's, it's all right, kiddo. I'm going to stand up to her this time. I was wondering if... Hey, hey, hey Daddy, um, 
could you, uh, would you drive me? I want to go after all. Please. It's important. I have to. I was wondering if you'd like to borrow my car just for tonight. He holds out the keys. Lindsay comes to him at last, blushes, takes the keys and hugs him as her eyes go back to the phone. Exterior night, parking lot, following Tommy. Tommy leaves the phone and goes to see what is happening in the parking lot, a tall shape near a van. Tommy doesn't flinch. He walks straight for it. The tall shape slips out of sight. Tommy ducks down and peers under a row of cars. There, a pair of legs moving. Tommy stands. Sound of voices, faint laughter. The tall shape closes in on the van. Two teenage boys are seated in the vehicle, door open, talking. It'll be radical. We got everything. I'll blow them away. <laughs> Real late. That's when we do it. The tall shape moves closer to the van as Tommy comes up behind and reaches around to pull off the mask. But it is only another teenage boy. Hey! Hey! What, what the fuck? The two boys in the van jump out. We see masks, spray paint, and costumes piled inside. What do you think you do? Hands off the merchandise. Uh, sorry. I made a mistake. <laughs> Tommy starts to leave as a hand grabs his shoulder. Stay right where you are. The two boys jam back into the van, but Hunt holds the door from closing. Uh-oh. They, they slide across the seat and out the other door, Hunt reaches for his 44. Tommy sees this and lunges into Hunt, knocking him off balance. The two boys get away. Hunt huh. manages to hold onto the boy with the mask. Tommy, what are you doing here? Tommy says nothing. Hunt cuffs the boy, then rifles through the contents of the van. Aha, uh -huh. red-handed. You want to tell me about it, boy, before the chief gets here? We wasn't doing nothing. This is a free country. Suck my dick, cop. Hunt whacks the boy across the side of the head. <laughs> you, what do you have to say for yourself? Your mother will be mighty sad to hear you mix up with all of this. You being an honorable student and all. Tommy stares him down. All right, kid. It's your funeral. I'll come. I'll cry. Interior police car, night. Close on the 44 Magnum, Hunt checks that it's loaded. Brackett sits next to him, driving. In the back seat are Tommy and the boy. Put that thing away. Yes, sir. He's dead, Gary. I saw him burn. Right. The boy in the back seat leans forward. You have to tell my dad. We were only screwing around. That right, Tommy? The store was only broken until we got there. The stuff was like just laying there. You want to talk to us now, Tommy? It'd be a shame to run to run you in too. You're not like the rest of those scum runes. Tommy stares at Hunt <laughs> in the rear view mirror. It's your word against mine, cop. I didn't even know those dudes. That's enough. What are you going to do to me? I'm a minor. You can't do nothing. My dad owns a dealership. I said <laughs> shut your hole, boy. The boy your dad gypped me. The boy I'm out for blood. 
the boy sits back. Now what? Let him Angry about that car. Yeah. <laughs> Let him stew a while. Word will get out. No more damn foolery. A lot of streets in Haddonfield. Too many to watch them all. Then Warren, Warren County better get back. Take two. Yeah, I know. I, Warren, you're mad about the car, too. You got ripped yeah, off also. I'm, I'm pissed, man. The Warren <laughs> County better get us that back up. Lee, did they check the dental records on, uh, on Michael Myers? Wasn't anything left. Hmm. It was all mired up with Dr. Lucas after he blew them both sky high. They never could tell which was which, but nobody could live through that fire. He took six rounds, point blank, didn't he? And he kept he coming. He shot him six times! <laughs> there it is. Don't give me that. I don't want to hear it. No more, Gary. No more! They turn down a dark street. Three 10-year-old boys are playing near the Myers house. Brackett gives them a burst of siren, and they scatter. Think we ought to check out the Myers house? No reason to, is there? Brackett tightens his hands on the steering wheel. Damn it, where's my backup? Exterior night outside the Myers house. Three ten-year-old boys come out of the bushes as the police car passes. Kevin, Peter, and Lonnie's kid brother, Billy. Go on, Billy. I'm going. I'm not chicken. The bushes rustle. Kevin and Peter start to run, but Billy stands his ground. Suddenly, a dog, Billy's German Shepherd, jumps out of the bushes. Hi, boy. You're not scared, are you? Are you going to do it or not? With his dog, Billy isn't afraid. He walks to the yard. Knock on the door, chicken shit. Billy goes to the door, the dog at his side. It's too late to turn back. He knocks. No answer. He starts to leave as the dog breaks and runs around the side of the house. Tuffy! The dog won't come, so Billy goes after him. Sound of growling. Then a struggling inside the house. The scratching of claws on wooden floors. Billy goes to a broken window, leans in on blackness as the dog yelps. Yipe. Billy steps back and the dog comes leaping out of the window and over his head. Tuffy, wait up, boy. Petey, Kev, hey, you guys, where are you? Chickens? His friends have run off, so he'll have to get home alone. No sweat. He's got Tuffy. The boys keep growling and snorting. The dog keeps growling and snorting, <laughs> trying, to, trying to clear its throat. <laughs> the streets are spooky. A few kids are sneaking around in costume. Is one of them wearing a faceless mask? Interior night, Billy's house. His mother puts down the phone and runs to him. We were so worried. We came back from the meeting and you weren't here. I'm okay, Mom. I went over to Peter's. I had Tuffy with me. Billy's father glances up from the TV set. See, Mabel? You baby the boy too much. Where's Lon? 
Lonnie's out with his friends. Don't you ever give us a scare like that again, young man? Sure, Mom. I gotta feed Tuffy. He leads the dog through the kitchen, halfway across the door, the floor. Halfway across the floor, the dog starts to choke. <coughs> What's the matter, boy? You got something <coughs> caught in your throat? A bone or... Billy forces the dog's mouth open and tries to get at the blockage. The dog gags and out of his throat drops two chewed off fingers. What the hell? Billy wraps the fingers in a paper towel and carries them to the garbage disposal before his parents can see. Interior night, interrogation room. At the police station, Hunt has the boy from the parking lot face to the wall in a hammerlock. Where'd you get it? I told you, the Circle K. We didn't hurt nobody. Hunt drives the arm up into a chicken wing. Ow! I want to call my lawyer! You have no rights here. Interior, Brackett's office. As the sheriff hangs up the phone, Tommy is standing at the window, looking out. Your mother will be right down. Look, boy. I remember what you went through. I only thought you might want to help us. Sound of the boy screaming in the next room. Brackett gets up. Tommy follows. Interior, interrogation room. Get him off me! Brackett opens the door. He'll, He'll talk, by God. I'll make him talk. Bracket goes to pull Hunt off. In the scuffle, the boy is driven harder against the wall. The boy yells louder as his arm is about to break. Tommy reacts ah, without thinking. Tommy reacts without thinking. He sees the gun on Hunt's hip and grabs it out of the holster. Hunt releases the boy. Don't do anything. You'll be sorry for. Tommy motions the boy out the door. Go. The boy checks out the situation, sees the open door, and splits without looking back. Why, you little pissant, I ought to teach you a lesson. Tommy cocks the 44. Go ahead, punk. Make my day. Do it. I dare you. Give me the gun. You're only making it worse. No, it's you. You're making it worse. It's because of you this is happening. It's not too late for some of us. Tommy backs to the door, holding them at bay. Then he's gone down the hall. That tears it. Now it's war. Yeah, but who are we fighting? The damn kids. Exterior night, outside police station, as Tommy, gun in hand, runs away into the night. Fade out. Fade in. Interior night, stop and start market. Sean is working the night shift alone. Tonight, Halloween. He faces a line of customers who are scary enough without masks. A wino, a shopping bag lady, a hooker, a man with no eyebrows. (laughs) (laughs) Got any pine sure? Dollar 29. The wino dumps a bruised pumpkin on the counter and holds up a Timex watch with price tags still attached. Look at what I got tonight. Watch is worth plenty. I got customers, Hubie. Herbie, whatever your name is. I can't read. A sleepy girl, Jennifer, 20, shows herself at the door to the back room. You know me. 
I need my pencil. To answer your question, Jennifer, it's a holiday. Knock yourself out. <laughs> the wino takes his bottle and leaves. Jennifer sighs. <sighs> Sound of a TV <sighs> in the back room. I can't wait all night. Garbage bags. Hefty. Double strength. It's going to rain tonight. You better save one for yourself. Yeah. Sean, Sean slips her a single bag from under the counter. Yeah. Happy Halloween, huh? Next. Box of Trojans, please. Lubricated. Well, that, what, extra sensitive? What color? We've got party red, guacamole green, golden <laughs> Avengers. How about high-tech black? Tipplers, ribbed for her pleasure. I don't care. He pulls packages off the shelf and throws the matter. Who's that woman you're talking to? He takes a Bowie knife from under the counter and waves it. Out! Everybody, I don't need this. Get me? I just don't need it! He waits till they file out. Then he goes to the back room. Interior, back room. Dark, except for the TV. A movie, Assault on Precinct 13. Jennifer is lounging on a cot. If you're too busy. He rushes to the cot and kisses her sloppily. <laughs> Sound of the bell out front. Bing. As Sean comes out of the back room, this time it's a bunch of little kids in makeshift costumes. Uh, trick or treat! Uh, trick, trick. Smell my feet. Yeah, I heard you. Look, where'd you get those costumes, okay? You're not supposed to dress up like that around here. We made them. We want masks. We want masks. Look, I don't know nothing about no masks, okay? We live in Haddonfield. We don't do that here. To get rid of them, he pulls some masks from a secret stash and hands them out. The little kids start counting their pennies. No, look, put those away. Pay me tomorrow, okay? And don't tell your parents where you got them. They take the masks and scamper out. Interior. Interior, back room. Sean comes back in. Kids don't get to have fun anymore. I just can't wait to see that high school girlfriend of yours. He goes to her and fumbles her down. Sound of the bell. <laughs> Can't catch a break. You can close up. Sean, Sean trudges back into the store. Nobody there. He goes to the window and turns the sign around, then looks in the convex mirror over the door. A movement. He scans the aisles. There, behind the leg's pantyhose rack, he starts over, and a shape steps out. Black clothes, featureless mask. The mask lifts. It's a teenage boy. Got any vodka mixer? We're closed. <laughs> it says 24 hours. <laughs> Reluctantly, Sean points him to the cold case. Got any vodka? Got any ID? It's for my dad, man. He's an alcoholic. No ID, no booze. Go get a job, you hoser. 
Okay. Interior, back room. Sean comes back to the cot. Jennifer is buttoning up her blouse and brushing her hair. Let's not get too hasty. He takes the brush away from her. Where do you think you're going? You want me to, what, you want me to spank you with that thing? Bend over, baby. He gets her down again, and they start rutting around. The bell rings. Bing. Damn kids. He buries himself in her flesh. As the TV movie continues, the sounds of shotgun fire. He pounds away. <laughs> wiki, 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 wiki. Oh. I'm not <laughs> Sean is being thrust back and forth from above by a three-fingered hand that has him by the hair. The other hand has him by the neck. The hand holding the neck releases, takes the Bowie life takes the buoy knife out of Sean's back and cuts Jennifer's throat off camera. Close on her face, eyes wide, sound of the telephone ringing out front. No one answers. Exterior night, outside high school auditorium. Sounds and lights from the homecoming dance inside. At the payphone, as Leah listens to the ringing on the other end, no answer. A few more rings and she hangs up. Leah turns to the parking lot where many couples are already leaving and worried parents are arriving in station wagons looking for their kids. Now a hearse pulls up. Lonnie, Keith, and Richie. Corey and Brooke exit the dance. They recognize the hearse. Richie and Keith greet Corey and Brooke. Lonnie, get your ass in here. Oh, sorry. Where's Darcy? Who knows? Oh my god, is that my mom? Come on, let's jam. Wait. Darcy will meet us. Did she tell you that? Well, no. I haven't seen her all night, but she'll be there. Shit, knew she wouldn't come. Maybe I shouldn't. Look, come on, Lon. Don't worry about it, man. A teenage girl walks by. Hi, uh, look, my, my friend here thinks you're kind of cute. Need a ride? Corey hits Keith in the arm, and Brooke pulls away from Richie in mock jealousy. Leah starts towards the hearse, but too late, Richie, Keith, Corey, Brooke, and Lonnie are driving away. Leah turns back to the phone. She slugs in a coin and dials again as more cars come and go. Damn you, Sean. Interior night auditorium the dance is in progress attendance is sparse uptight teachers stand around the edges as a few nerdy couples dance as if underwater to a plastoid combo <laughs> Lindsay is by the punch bowl waiting nervously mr crab comes up behind her in his bow tie and polyester suit uh, here to dance Lindsay turns, uh, Lindsay turns expectantly then she sees who it is. Oh, hi, Mr. Crab. Uh, what did you say? Uh, you don't look like you're having much fun. I, I thought... 
Excuse me, I have to go hit the head. She moves away from him. The main <laughs> door opens and Brackett walks in. He checks out the scene. Miss Oldfield stands talking to him, shaking her head. Brackett scans the crowd again and leaves. Miss Oldfield goes over to Lindsay. Lindsay, have you seen Tommy tonight? No. Sheriff Brackett would like to talk to him. Is he in trouble? I don't think so. But if you see him. Lindsay heads for the side door. Miss Oldfield follows and catches up with her. Would you mind telling me what's going on? Um, I don't know. I really don't. I don't know anything anymore. Miss Oldfield, um, would you do something for me? If anyone asks where I am, um, do you think you could, uh... Cover for you? Exterior yeah. night, outside the auditorium. As Lindsay slips out the side door and starts around the building, the police car is parked in front. Lindsay moves on, her eyes darting around the parking lot. She almost bumps into Leah at the payphone. Great. Look at that. Cops. I'm really having a bitten time. Yeah. I mean, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I have to. Uh... Do you have a car? Well, I... I need a ride. Where's Sean? Shayhead? <laughs> uh, he's ditched on me too many times. Well, I, I have to meet somebody. Where? I'm not sure. Well, there's only one place anybody's going tonight. The only safe place. And it's not around here. Exterior night, Lost River Drive-In. Cars are rolling through the entrance in a steady stream. One of them is the hearse. In the hearse, Richie, Brooke, and Lonnie are squeezed in the front seat. The line moves up and they pay their money. Lon, you mind if we don't watch all the flicks with you? Look, you know, I'm sorry, okay? I, I shouldn't have come. Don't take it personal. Darcy's like that sometimes. You and your flaky friends. Corey sticks her head up in the back. Keith is next to her. Who's a flake? I knew she wouldn't go. Darcy? She's a flake. You're better off if I was you. Which you're not. I'd pick me up another little high school cutie in here. Brooke jabs him in the ribs. Hundreds of cars Asshole. loaded with teens. The hearse cruises for a space, parks, hooks up the speaker box. At the front of the lot are three screens angled away from each other. This is a multiple drive-in. Tonight, you get any or all for one price. At the moment, the reanimator, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Christine are playing simultaneously. In the hearse, back, as Chainsaw shows on their screen. Is this a good picture? Do you care? Who's going to the snack bar? I told you we got everything. Keith grins and uncovers an ice chest, a huge plastic bag of popcorn, and more. There's plenty of room in the back of the hearse. 
no seats, carpeted interior, blankets, pillows. Oh, what about hot dogs? I got your hot dog right here in my pants. <laughs> well, that's not very nice. Uh, I assure you that it is. On screen, it's the teenagers in the van scene. A hitchhiker smears the side with blood and curses them all. Corey moves over next to Keith and gets comfortable. In the hearse, front seat, Brooke snuggles up to Richie. Get him back. No, we will in a minute. How about a couple of beers? Sounds of a tussle in the back seat. Eventually, Keith's hand rises to deliver two beers. What about Lonnie? Come on, Lon. Go for it. No, no thank, thank you. you. <laughs> From the back of the hearse, sounds of necking. Richie checks the rearview mirror, then closes the sliding glass window between front and back. Do you believe those two? We get back in now. I want to see this first. Richie watches the movie. Lonnie stares with him. On screen, someone is getting killed, screaming from the speaker box. Exterior, night, Woodbine Street. In front of the Wallace... In front of the Wallace and Doyle houses, two police cars. Brackett stands talking to the Wallaces. A few feet away, Hunt and the Doyles. At this point... We only want to talk to them. She's with with him. him. I know know it. Go inside. Make some coffee. We've got a few more places to check. The boy's not dangerous. Mr. Wallace leads his wife away. Lee, turn on your radio. What is it now? Brackett leans into the squad car and turns up the squawk box. Police bulletins about the killings at the pumpkin field and the stop and start. Brackett slams his fist onto the top of the car. God damn it. He's back. I can feel it. I don't know how, but Michael Myers is trying to come home one more time. If I could think like him. It can't be. Lori, the sister he didn't finish off, he's still looking for. When Tommy and Lindsay got in his way for the first time, he almost killed them. Remember? Nobody knows where Laurie Strode is. He doesn't either, and he won't quit until he finds out. Where would he go, unless it's where all the kids are tonight? If Sam Lewis was right, after all, then God help us, because he let him out! I lost my spot. (laughs) 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 Oh, sorry. Just yell, he shot him six times. He shot him six times? Hmm. How do you stop something that can't be killed? Exterior night, drive-in. As the last of the parking spaces fill up, on the screens now, Psycho, Psycho 2, and Psycho 3. Shots of Tony Perkins spanning 25 years. The Wallace car pulls in, Lindsay driving, and Leah at her side. In the Wallace car, They find a space. The car on their left shows the silhouetted heads of a couple making out. On the right, steamed up windows. How can we find anybody in here? Don't worry. Wait for me. Exterior night. 
Leah cuts a path between cars to the snack bar, a building at the rear of the lot attached to the restrooms and counter projection booth, center projection booth. A building at the rear of the lot attached to the restrooms and center projection booth. Leah spots familiar faces, a teenage boy, Steve, and a girl in a tank top. Steve is carrying a tray piled with nachos and Cokes. Yeah, hi, babe. Hey, are you with Sean? You got to be kidding. That dork? Um, you haven't seen him, have you? Not yet. I got some killer buds in my truck. Want a party? Sure, Steve. Why not? I'm supposed to uh, find somebody first, though. Not Sean? I know this sounds weird and everything, but I said I'd do a favor for a friend. Well, she's not really a friend. Exterior night, Wallace Carr, as Lindsay sits alone, hearing the sounds of death and mayhem from hundreds of speakers. She gets out of the car and looks around nervously. Someone watches Lindsay between the cars, moving this way. Leah walks back from the snack bar to the Wallace car. The lot is quietening down, except for the murders on screen. Rows of cars with windows rolled up. Lindsay? You in there? She taps on the window. No answer. She peers in. The car is empty. Okay. Leah looks around. Giant faces on screen above the cars, colors reflecting off the hoods. Leah tries to spot a car she recognizes. Finally, she does. Steve! All right. Leah cuts through the rows towards Steve's truck. When she gets there, she can't see through the windshield. She tries the door. Locked. She walks around the truck and notices the tray of nachos and Cokes spilled all over the ground. Someone watches Leah from between the cars. Leah looks in the window on the passenger side and gasps. The girl in the tank top is inside, dead on the seat, her eyes staring blue-white in the darkness. <gasps> Leah runs back towards the lights of the snack bar. Before she gets there, a car door opens directly in her path and she's grabbed and pulled inside by powerful arms. The car door closes, muffling her screams. A guy in the next car rolls down his window. Ah, hold it down over there. Some people want some privacy. On screen, a girl screams as she's murdered. Exterior night, Meyer's house. Flashback. Three boys, Keith, Richie, and Lonnie, as children, creep up the front of the old Meyer's house. I'm not afraid. Bullshit. I'm not. They go in. Lonnie approaches the house making it as far as the door. Chicken! Go on, Lonnie. Sam Loomis stands up behind the hedge. Lonnie, get your ass away from there. Lonnie races away, terrified. Night in the hearse, the present 
as Lonnie wakes up in the front seat alone. Richie and Brooke are gone, probably in the back seat with Corey and Keith. What time is it? On screen, the horror-thon continues. At the moment, a voice from the movie The Fog croons out of the speaker. It's all of 12 minutes after midnight, and this is Stevie Wayne, your nightlight around until around 1 o'clock. Lonnie can't see anything. The windshield is steamed up. He rubs out a spot, but the screen is only a blur. A real fog has rolled in while he was asleep. There's a celebration planned for tonight, and if you're so excited about it and you can't sleep, stay up with me, and I'll figure out some way to keep you occupied. Yeah, sure. Maybe a hot game of checkers. No lie. He tries to see into the back of the hearse, only dark shapes covered by blankets. In the meantime, why don't you just sit back and relax with me while I play this song from the Coupe de Vils, dedicated just to you. Excuse me, lady. I gotta take a leak. Music of the Coupe de Vils as Lonnie opens the door and gets out. The drive-in is eerie in the mist. Every car frosted over, no heads showing. More than half the cars have gone home by now. How late is it? The tinny sound of music from the fog, fading in and out as he weaves between the speaker posts. It's hard to get his bearings. He can only see the screen and the long cones of light from the projection booths. He starts to follow the center light. Someone follows Lonnie through the mist. Someone is watching. Lonnie arrives at the snack bar. No one here now. Not even to sell candy. Most of the lights are off. He shrugs and goes around to the men's room. He goes through a long maze-like tunnel. The men's room is empty, or is it? As he takes a leak, he notices the suggestion of movement in the mirror. Is someone in one of the stalls? He doesn't wait around to find out. Back outside, Lonnie follows the beam of light back towards the screen and the hearse, feeling his way between cars. He knocks on the back door of the hearse. No answer. He clears his throat, embarrassed. <clears throat> Keith? Excuse me? He opens the back door of the hearse. In the hearse, dark, mounded shapes under blankets. You guys asleep? Hey, Richie, man, is that you? Lonnie pokes one of the mounds. No response. He touches it again, then pulls the blanket aside. Richie, wow, I was starting to think I was the only one alive in this whole place. Richie? He looks closer and sees Richie on top of Brooke, but something is wrong with the position. I'll say. <laughs> A spider web over their faces of dried blood. They're not asleep. They're dead. Their heads bashed in. Lonnie opens the other blanket. The same. Keith and Corey, both dead. He jumps out of the hearse and pounds on the next car. Help! Somebody, please! My friends are... He opens the car door. A dead girl, Leah, falls out. Lonnie runs what? back to the snack bar. 
tries to run, bumps into a post. Karam's off a fender, gets up, keeps going, tank yanking the car doors as he passes. Other teenagers all dead. He sprints the last few yards to the stand. Anybody call the cops? They're all dead, man. My dad owns a dealership. No one answers. He runs to the back of the building and climbs the stairs to the projection booth. No one here either. The projection, the projector is automated, fed by an oversized reel. Lonnie looks out through the projection window. Acres of cars, silent, dead. A graveyard of cars below the beam where a million moths flutter in the light. This projector is aimed at the center screen, showing Friday the 13th. The other two screens are blank, as if the films have run out. Below, walking this way, out of the fog, is a shape. Lonnie waves. Hey, man. Hey, up here. I'm here. Get help. Wait. He runs down the stairs and goes to the side of the building. No one there. Then he hears footsteps climbing the stairs to the booth. He runs around in front and stands below the projection window. Hello? Can you see me? Is there a phone up there? Call! No one answers. He looks around. On screen is the fuzzy image of Jason in Friday the 13th. Oh, ironic. Now, <laughs> a, now a shadow falls across Jason as something passes in front of the projector. A shape. The shape superimposed over Jason cocks its head in curiosity. Then the film burns through and the screen goes white. Lonnie whips around and looks back up at the booth. The shape is standing in the window, a handful of film in its three-fingered fist. It has ripped the film out of the projector. As Lonnie watches, the two missing fingers grow back. As Lindsay walks forward out of the fog, she sees Lonnie. Tommy, is that you? The fog blows, obscuring Lonnie. Then a dark blur and the sound of a thud as the shape smashes through the projection window and jumps down to the ground. Another blur, the flash of a blade and the sound of a knife slashing flesh as the shape grabs Lonnie. Horrified, Lindsay backs up and runs away in the fog. Exterior night, entrance to drive-in. As a line of police cars break in a semicircle outside, Brackett and Hunt and others, the Warren County backup has finally arrived. Brackett gets out of his car and goes to meet a spiffy Warren County cop. Uh, you want us to go in or can we go for donuts? And start a riot? You and your men cover the fence east and west. No guns unless I say so. Got that? Mr. and Mrs. Wallace, hurry forward. Did you see them go in? Did he have a gun? Gary. Yes, sir. Come with me. Yes, sir. Brackett and Hunt enter the front gate on foot. Mr. Wallace tries to follow, but is caught in a chokehold by two Warren County cops. Leave him alone. Are you all crazy? 
Exterior night outside back wall of drive-in. Several teenage boys in black ready to scale the fence from outside. Two of them are the boys Hunt tried to arrest in the auditorium parking lot. The boys from the van. Let's go. Another boy, the second boy from the van, rushes up. There's cops out front. Big fucking deal. Maybe we should wait. For what? Next year? Now would be great. Ready? The other boys put on their masks, silver, featureless Captain Kirk faces, and stand ready. Let's do it. They go up and over the fence, one step ahead of two Warren County cops. Exterior night, drive-in grounds. Lindsay runs towards the white screen, breathing hard. She looks back. The shape pursues her relentlessly. Nothing can stop it. It follows her down rows of cars, bumping into speaker posts. Whap, whap, whap. The posts bend as it mows them down. The shape comes on and on. As she ducks down and crosses between the rows, Lindsay reaches the front, dives into the playground sandbox below the screen. The shape's footsteps stop. Lindsay raises her head, peeks over the edge of the sandbox through the jungle gym and playground equipment. The fog is lifting. She can see under some of the cars. No legs moving, nothing. Now... The sound of other feet running to the right and left. Where? Lindsay stands there off to one side. A masked shape. Lindsay starts to run. There on the other side, a masked shape. Which way? It can't be everywhere. Lindsay freezes in her tracks, looking from side to side as a dozen shapes step forward out of the mist to encircle the grounds, while behind and above them, a dozen marksmen, Warren County cops, appear atop the fence, shotguns at the ready. Sound of shotguns cocking. The geometry of the scene. A Mexican standoff. Nobody moves. As Bracket and Hunt enter. Hold it. We got him. Which one? Behind Bracket and Hunt, a man and woman come running up. The reporter, Robert Mundy, and Dr. Marion Stern. Wait! Don't shoot. Stay back. I can help. Let me try. She steps forward. Michael? Thirteen shapes turn their heads at the shout. There's no way to tell. Now one, and only one, of the shapes cocks its head. To listen to the sound of her voice, Dr. Stern smiles and strides forward confidently to meet that one. Michael? It's Dr. Stern. Remember? The shape cocks its head further and takes a tentative step toward her. Michael! Don't be frightened. I'm here to help you. Come back with me to Smith's Grove. It's your home. It's where you belong. Nobody can hurt you there. Take my hand. 
She is close to him. She holds out her hand. The shape raises a hand in return and deals her a powerful blow, knocking her off her feet as Lindsay makes Ah. a run for it. She tries to make it to Bracket and the entrance. The shape turns and sees her. Lindsay stops, runs to the side, and hides behind the first row of cars. Fire! But Bracket sees that Lindsay is too close to the action. Not yet. Then I'll waste him myself. Hunt climbs over the top of a car and jumps down in front of the shape. They face each other in the playground area, outlined by the stark white light of the screen. Eat this, cocksucker. Hunt pumps around into the chamber of his shotgun, aims, and fires point-blank into the shape's chest. The shape is deflected momentarily. Then he moves on Hunt. He takes the shotgun, breaks it in half, and smashes Hunt's face in. Ah, my face! (laughs) Then the shape moves with surprising speed to the front row of cars, reaches down, and picks up Lindsay. He considers her abstractly as she kicks and screams, like a boy deciding which leg of an insect to pull off first. Sound of pistol cocking. Put your guns down, I said. It is Tommy, standing atop a truck, the 44 in his hand. Not a chance, you fucking piggy. The shape looks up, sees him, is distracted long enough for Lindsay to drop out of its arms. Then, the shape starts for Tommy. Tommy pulls the trigger. The first shot hits the groin. The shape staggers. The second shot hits the head and blasts away part of the skull. The shape reels. Now! All the Warren County cops open fire with shotguns. The shape is nailed in the crossfire, twitching like a po- twitching like a puppet between the cars. Then the shape starts to grow as if feeding off the bullets and becoming stronger with each shot. <laughs> the shape swells to eight, 10, 12 feet tall, raises its fists against the screen. <laughs> As one of the shots hits metal and a car explodes. Then the next car, the next row after row of cars going up like a zigzag pattern of firebombs. The drive-in is an inferno. The Warren County cops are blown off the fence like soldiers in a minefield. Angle outside, driveway entrance. As Brackett, Mundy, and the others come staggering out, their clothes smoking. The cameraman rushes to help Mundy, but Mundy pushes him off and stands on his own. The cameraman shoulders his camera. And don't that stink, though. Had a real barbecue tonight. Here, let me get a shot of you. Turn it off. Turn it off, I said. Mrs. Wallace runs forward. Her husband restrains her. Lindsay? My Lindsay! Shh! 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 He, he holds her tight against him. She's got to be all right. Tell me we'll see our baby again. Tell me! Behind Mr. and Mrs. Wallace, the Doyles are standing and weeping silently. Oh no, we lost him! We lost him! 
Through the viewfinder, the cameraman raises his camera and pans the area. Smoke and flames from the drive-in grounds, fire trucks arriving, and there, barely visible through the smoke, are Tommy and Lindsay climbing a hill next to the drive-in, leaving it all behind. Mundy steps in front of the lens. You didn't see anything. Give me the tape. Give it to me. He puts his hand over the lens. Exterior night, hillside. As Tommy helps Lindsay through the brush and up the hill, below them, the clon- below them, the conflagration. Where are we going now? I don't know. We'll think of something. Lindsay stops to look down. It is as if the entire town of Haddonfield, with all its dreams and nightmares, is going up in flames. Can we go home? I want to go home. It's not there anymore. If it ever was. Then where? We're orphans now. Away from here. <laughs> Lindsay's point of view. As the smoke clears... The Warren County cops form a circle and close in on the area of the drive-in in front of the screen. Shotguns ready. As the last of the smoke blows away, we see that the center of the circle is empty. The shape is not there. Only the charred remains of playground equipment. Back on the hillside. Will we be safe? Tommy looks at her for a long beat. Then he smooths the hair away from her face, takes her chin in his hands, and kisses her. Exterior countryside, dawn, morning on a rural farm, roosters crowing, dogs barking, moving in on a barn, interior, barn, in a haystack, Tommy and Lindsay asleep next to each other. Their faces are dirty. They're sleeping deeply, as the first rays of the morning sunlight shine in. Suddenly, Lindsay sits bolt upright, instantly awake. Exterior, barnyard, as a dog stops barking, whimpers, puts its tail between its legs, and slinks away. A shadow on the ground, cast by the blood-red rising sun. The shadow is huge and terrible in the shape of a man. The shadow falls across the barn door, interior barn, as the barn door opens and the shadow of the tall shape falls across the interior. The shadow of the shape falls across Lindsay in the haystack. She screams. (laughs) Interior barn. Asleep in the haystack, Lindsay sits bolt upright from her dream, eyes wide, no shadow, only the clean, warm light washing in. Tommy wakes and comforts her, holding her. Exterior morning farm. All is peaceful, beautiful. Music up as we pan to take in the countryside at a field of pumpkins ripening in the haze. And... Fade to black.
Hey listeners, thank you so much for joining us for our performance of Dennis Etchinson's Halloween 4. It was a super blast to kind of produce and bring to you folks. I uh, hope it's a nice little Halloween treat for everybody. And we hope that whenever you're listening to this, you're out there, you're safe, and you're having a really good day. This is the first of two Halloween bonus shows we're bringing to you this fall. Um, So in a few hours, I'm going to be posting our episode on Hubie Halloween that my daughter and I did uh, recorded earlier this week. But just want to say thank you so much to all of our cast for lending their time and their talents to doing this. It was really fun for me, and it was something that I absolutely needed. Um, So hope you enjoyed it. I know I enjoyed making it, and I hope they all come back for future readings. Take care. And happy Halloween.